Hi guys, it's Udo's and welcome to the Udo's show. Today I have the one and only Dr. Robert Zenga himself. And uh, he's known to be the doctor of The Biggest Loser. And also he used to be the Raiders doctor. And he also made this book uh, that was based on this movie, Any Given Sunday. Uh, thank you so much, Robert, uh, for joining me Thanks today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you so much. So I'm so excited to have you on the show today because we like have so many things to talk about. Like, for instance, what are the weirdest things that people come to you with? Like, like doctor stuff. Like, can you go through like some of the wow. weird stuff that happens? Well, I think one of the weirdest things was I was in this, this um, when I was a resident, I was working in this little emergency room in Compton and this really cute little boy came in and said, my ear's killing me, my ear's killing me. So you get an otoscope and an otoscope is this magnifying glass where you can look inside the ear. Usually you're looking at the tympanic membrane and I look in there and I went, wow, and it looked like a monster was there and it was like there was a cockroach inside his ear and it was like the eyes were this big and had... I thought I jumped back maybe six feet. I thought a monster was attacking me. That was, I think that's the one thing that got me. Another time I was, um, oh my God. In an wait, emergency. wait a minute. Before you start the other story, yeah. what did you do to get this the co- cockroach out of the ear? Well, the first thing we had to put is we did some oil. We immersed oil in there to kill the cockroach because he scared the hell out of me. You know, I wasn't yeah. going to get near there <laughs> until it died. And then we just got some really fine forceps and then we could just pull it right out. Okay. But, you know, when it was alive, it was kind of gripping on the sides of the ear canal and it wouldn't budge. Oh, and then man. its feet were banging on his eardrums and the poor child was hearing all these weird noises. So it was like really freaky. Yeah. I mean, and then I think I scared kid? him, too. When I jumped like that, he probably thought I was some kind of wussy, you know, because I was <laughs> I was scared. Of bugs. <laughs> well, like how old was the kid and like how <laughs> like how the how the hell did the cockroach even go in there? Was it like in the sleep or like? I think he was asleep because this was like like at two in the morning this all happened. So I was half asleep too. But no, I think the cockroach climbed in there when this poor child was sleeping, and he was like about eight or nine. Oh wow! Like uh, I, I mean, it's just so weird. Like why would a roach go in there? They're like, well, you're lucky you've got all that hair. But you know, guys, we don't have that protection <laughs> you have. You know, oh my, yeah, God. you probably would have had three or four climb in if you didn't have such thick hair. I'm going to start sleeping with a do-rag now that you told me that. <laughs> I'm going to be like yeah. wrapping it up. <laughs> Ear wraps, <Yeah>. like, <laughs> you know. Oh, my God. Okay, go on. Tell me the next story. What uh, is I the was, other crazy? I was, like, in an ER once, and somebody was, you know, having a, a delivery. And I was, like, scared as hell of that because during obstetrics, I took a, a trip to the Bahamas when I was in med school. So I never really learned how to deliver a kid. So I'm there and it was just coming out and I'm like, oh shit, you know, the shit's going to hit the fan now. So I do a perfect job and deliver the kid and I'm holding it and I'm like showing the mom and the nurses, get over here, Isinga, there's another one coming out. And I'm like, whoa, and I had to like dive. It was like a football catch in the end zone, catching this other kid that was popping out with a, you know, the tubes are flying everywhere. It was just a disaster. Yeah. <laughs> but all in all, like nobody even knew probably that. You nobody were, even knew. Yeah. I mean, I think the mom was so wigged out and in so much pain. She didn't know from Adam, you know, so. Yeah. But that, you know, yeah, weird things happen like that, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, people, you know, I've, I've had a couple of weird experiences, too, where people that died, you know, their heart stopped for a period of time. 
oh my you gosh. know, came back to life. And it's kind of cool listening to, um, you know, what they say, you know, like they'll say, yeah, it wasn't really all that was cranked up to be, but I did see a little light at the end of the tunnel, you know, and, yeah. you know, it's interesting to hear people with, you know, near death experiences is always kind of, um, you know, that sticks in your head. Um, what else? Um, cool. Hey, I've the been cra- watching all these like documentaries about near death experiences. And I like, everybody's telling the same kind of story. Like there's some kind of tunnel and there's light at the end. And some people see like people they know, like that, you know, passed on and that kind of stuff. So that's like interesting to hear. So yeah, I think the funniest time ever was when I was a doctor for the Raiders, we had this really funny linebacker, uh, Jerry Robinson, this really funny um, black dude. And he goes down and he's like motionless. And so, you know, I'm hovering over him and the trainer's hovering over him. And he kind of wakes out of his stupor and he looks up and he goes, what are all these white people doing in heaven? That was about the funniest line I ever heard. (laughs) Uh, Coming off of a guy that just got knocked out. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. He's like, damn it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He's like, what are all these white people doing in heaven? Yeah. And then we with the other the best. The best injury I ever saw was, you know, right before the games, we used to kind of all kneel down in a circle and say a prayer before going out, you know, through the tunnel into the Coliseum. Yeah. And uh, one time, you know, then the the coach finished the prayer and everybody stood back up and the guy goes, ah, he had pulled the hamstring when he was getting up from saying the Lord's Prayer. So the coach went, oh, F and that. We're never going to pray again. Forget that. You know? <laughs> so that was a good one. Like you don't get injured on the on the football field? Yeah, he anything. got injured saying a prayer before the game. You know, you think football <laughs> is such a dangerous sport and then you pull a hamstring kneeling yeah. for the prayer. You know something's wrong. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I don't think God was on his side for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's so funny though. There's I think there's like probably so many more stories. Like there's just like like so many uh, crazy stories that probably happen like every day that you don't even think about. You're just like, "Wait, what?" I know for me, I, I feel like I always call you like I'll I'll have like the smallest things happening and I'm like, "Oh my god, I think it's something wrong with me." You're like, "You just pulled the you just pulled the muscle." That's it. <laughs> Yeah, we all kind of panic when, you know, something's not working right. You know, it's just I think that's dialed into all of us. We all panic just a little bit. Do you think like everybody Google stuff? Because I know with me, like the smallest little thing happens and I go to Google and I according to Google, I have like everything that says on Google, basically, like, I'm like, oh, my God, this is wrong. And that's wrong. You know, doctors love Google. I love Google because I get so much business from Google because people are generally chill. And then they read, wait a minute, that could be rectal cancer, that little bleeding, you know, and then they're in a panic. If they would have never read Google, they would have just kind of chilled. And problem is, you know, every bad disease has 10 or 11 symptoms. And if you just have one of them, you just assume you've got that bad thing, which is, you know, we call that med student syndrome, but now it's like Google syndrome, you know, and that's why I have a little cup. I, I don't know where it is here, but it says I did not get my degree from Google, you know, and so that yeah. sets me apart. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So when you went to med school, like how was that? And like when you got out, like, you know, because you learn so many things in school and like you read all these books, but it's so easy to forget everything. So how was that like 
to come out of med school and then start. Well, it was really scary because, you know, you're right. You've kind of touched on everything, but you never really mastered anything. So the first couple of years, it's very scary because people come in and just, oh, you're a doctor. They assume you know everything and you're just like flying blindly. But, you know, eventually it sticks in, you know, and that's kind of the process that I guess you don't want to be too old as a doctor. You probably don't want to be too young as a doctor, you know, so somewhere in the middle is probably ideal, but that, that passes pretty quickly too. Yeah. So when you got out and you're just like the first time you had somebody with some kind of symptoms and you're just kind of like, oh, I'll tell you what I did the very first day of, you know, when I was a doctor, I was sewing up somebody in the emergency room and it just, it looked horrible. And I just went, this is like, I mean, it was like the, the line was kind of moved and squiggled and I just closed my eyes and took a deep breath, took all the stitches out and started again and kind of this time went in a straight line. But yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's scary because in, in medicine, a lot of times, and this is not that much of a joke, you know, it's called see one, do one, teach one. So, I mean, that's the progression, you know, so after you do one or two, then you're teaching, you know, the people that are one year younger than you. So it moves yeah. pretty fast. And, you know, usually we, unfortunately, you know, people that, you know, are drunk at uh, hockey games and get in a fight, they're basically your first patient to practice on, you know, and it's not fair, but that's just the way it goes. Yeah. Okay. So the lesson here is don't drink and go to a hockey game. <laughs> yeah, no. It, yeah. Cause you're going to end up with the lowest person on the totem pole. Cause the head resident will say, Hey, this is a good teaching case for you. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to go through that. Yeah. Right? yeah. You want to be, try to be semi sober and ask for a real doctor. I mean, I think that's the first thing you have to do at an emergency room. Oh, yeah. So basically, if you go to an emergency room, you got to just assume that it's not a real doctor. Like you got to be like, Can well, I get a doctor? if you go to a certain hospital and they're teaching, yeah, and it ha- happens to be June one, you know, you may be the first person that that person's ever touched as a doctor, you know, and yeah. same thing for medical school, you know, you have students that are doing procedures and whatnot. And um, you got to be a little careful. Yeah. You know, your life is in your own hands there. But like anyone that went to hospitals, they kind of know that they have a million of like interns or training and and like people just showing up like, you know, just kind of wanting to train on you. And uh, is there a way that you could be like, you know what? Sorry, I don't want all these people here or like it's kind of a part of the deal or all kidding aside, you know, it wouldn't hurt to ask the person, have you ever done one of these before? You know, have you done 10 of them before? That's a little bit reassurance because I don't think young doctors lie to you, but they then again, won't tell you they've never had any experience. Yeah, no, that makes, that makes total sense. So like, what are some of the things that you focus on now? Like, I know you've done the emergency and, you know, delivering. Well, I kind of (laughs) segued from taking care of professional athletes and all the problems that, you know, high functioning athletes have to, then I switched careers a little bit trying to figure out how can you take somebody really sedentary, really overweight and make them into an athlete. And that was kind of what the biggest loser show was. We'd take people a minimum of a hundred pounds overweight and we'd get them exercising not only every day, but maybe twice a day or more. Mm. And then, you know, we'd get people that had never really worked out in the last five, 10 years were a hundred pounds overweight. We got them to run a marathon in about two months. That's how long it took us. And, you know, they'd cry at the end because it was such an amazing accomplishment. And while they were training for those two months, you know, we had like 95% had high blood pressure, something like 
uh, 60% had diabetes or prediabetes, and that would all go away. And so it was kind of cool that you took people that were really destined to die, honestly, 20 to 30 years before their expected time. And we brought them back to generally pretty healthy. And of course, unfortunately, in the country, we don't have a setup to follow people like that, to give them the training, the exercise expertise, the dietary expertise, and the doctor expertise to keep that going. So we did have, you know, about a half of the contestants kind of regained the weight right away. But the cool thing was that usually when people lose weight, about only you know, two or 3% of people keep it off. You know, when I give a lecture and I say, who's on a diet in the room, everybody that raises their hand, I say, you're going to be heavier within three to four years because everybody dieting tends to gain weight. But we had about 40% on Biggest Loser that kept their weight off or kept most of their weight off, which was to me, the most gratifying thing in the world. Mm -hmm. And it was because those 40% tended to work out somewhere between six to nine hours a week in perpetuity. And those are the people that did great that were really overweight to begin with. And the people that worked out not at all or 15 minutes a day or an hour or twice a week, they didn't do so well. So then I segued from that to my latest thing, which is, okay, let's take everybody, people that are sedentary and overweight, people that are really fit. What can we do to get people to age better? Mm. And one of the things I'm sure you know, I don't know how many um, high school reunions have you been to, Udas? Well, actually, I grew up in Sweden, so like I just see people on Facebook. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> you know? funny. Yeah, like I and plus I don't even think they have reunions, you know. But I'm oh, sure they don't do I, that in Sweden. I don't think so, but I'm sure if I went, probably I'll... everybody's so good looking they don't want to get together. You know, they're all you know they, they yeah. they're in Sweden. It's just well, I I noticed this. I will say this in Sweden, everybody you know eats automatically organic food, and they also walk all the time everywhere. And very they, active. Yeah, very active. So you don't really see people aging uh, bad like in Sweden. I think like people generally look kind of young, you know. Although people that have super pale skin, they, their skin can maybe not age that well if you get a lot of sun, but. Yeah, I guess back there, it's, it's dark 24 hours a day for half the year. <laughs> yeah. So that, that probably helps. Automatic sunscreen, you yeah. know? <laughs> so, so the thing is here in America where we have, um, you know, these class reunions, it's always really peculiar because you look at some people and you go, wow, they look way better than me. And you go to them and you say, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. And then other people, you're like, oh my God, they, they're older than my parents. Yeah. And so we found out everybody ages at totally different rates. And there was one fascinating study, and this really got me interested in what we could do is they followed people from 25 to 45, and they found some of the people aged really slow. They only aged about a half a year a year. Mm -hmm. So they basically, from 25 to 45, they looked like 35-year-old person. And then some people aged 2.3, 2.4 years a year. So they basically, over 20 years, age 40 years. So some people in the class look like, you know, at they were all 45 years old, the sun had gone around, you know, 45 times. But excuse me, the earth had gone around the sun 45 times. But <laughs> some people were like, they look like 35 year olds, other people are like 25 plus 40, they look like they were 65. And that's the difference in a group of people that are 45. Some will look, the worst will look like they're 65 and the best. So my whole thing was now that I'm getting to be semi-ancient, what in the world is the difference? What are, what are the factors that go into it? Everybody knows about cigarettes and everybody knows about excessive drinking and drugs, 
I think people recognize now if you get chemotherapy, if you have massive major surgeries, that's going to age you quicker. Mm. And we also know that, you know, exercise, you know, eating right, staying thin, uh, that makes you age slower. But yeah, what what really twists in there and what additional things, whether it's heat saunas or cold plunges or, you know, what are all the other factors? So that's really what I'm focusing on now. Okay, so uh, within these studies that you've been, you know, looking into, like, what, what do you think are the major things that like is anti aging? Well, I think that there's, you know, two big buckets. One are kind of things that you can just do in the comfort of your own home and that are vital to, to yes. slow aging down. And that that certainly centers around being very active, including some vigorous exercise. Mm-hmm. And probably we haven't hit the top limit of it yet. So that's probably shockingly up there six to nine hours a week. And not many people hit that. Then you have diet, specifically eating less. You know, it looks like fasting, either intermittently or literally every day and only eating within a six hour window is very helpful because these are all, we call them adversity mimetics, things that simulate, hey, there's a famine, something's going wrong because the body, interestingly enough, has the ability, if it thinks times are rough, it'll repair your DNA better. If it thinks times are good and there's plenty of food, it says, forget repairing DNA, just go have a lot of sex, reproduce. Yeah. The species is very happy. Yeah. But if things are bad, the body goes, I better hunker down. I better repair all your DNA to keep you healthy for better times. So we're trying to have good times and still fool the body to think it's bad times. So that's yeah. where we do some of this intermittent fasting or different types of fasting. And there also we're finding out now are these various survival systems Mm -hmm. and the survival systems can be influenced by certain drugs, many of which are over the counter. And so there are different pathways. There's something called the mTOR pathway. There's something called the AMPK pathway. There's something called the sirtuin, you know, the NAD pathway. And those are the pathways we're trying to figure out how to trick to send a message to our, our DNA to stay young and healthy. So wow. that's really where all the action is. And, and it's an incredibly exciting field because at least in animals, you know, if you're a mouse with discretionary cash, you know exactly what to do. These things work great in mice. Mm-hmm. So it's really a mad dash to see which of the things will work for humans or whether we have to alter them a little bit because, you know, humans aren't like mice. But it's really an exciting time because I think it's the biggest discovery since I've been a doctor. You know, the fact that We can move age in mice both forward and backwards. We can accelerate it or decelerate it. And we can also even reprogram a mouse so that you can just bring it back almost all the way. So it's it's exciting times. Yeah, that that's super cool. And I know like you've done other stuff too. Like you wrote a book about STDs and lies and all kinds of stuff. So can you like Well, it's interesting because you know, you think STDs and I did get in a crazy I get on these little OCD rants in my life and kind of just say, Okay, I'm gonna master this thing. Yeah. And you know, I wrote that and, and this is public knowledge, you know, I went through a really traumatizing period with uh Charlie Sheen mm-hmm. and he came out with HIV and so many things were said in the media that were just absolutely untrue. And people were so ignorant about HIV, something that I thought we were way past. And so I felt compelled to write a book about it just because of the lack of knowledge about HIV. And then when I kind of started putting it on paper, I realized 
people had no idea about other STDs. People don't realize that there's literally millions of cases every year of STDs, and many of them are preventable. It's not like the end of the world. You just have to know about it. But you talk to people on the street and they go, well, if I have a symptom of STD, I'll just go online and find out what it is and take care of it. And that's the first problem because the majority of STDs have no symptoms or symptoms that are so minor, you don't know you have the STD. That's why you need preventative treatment and you need to know, okay, given the amount of sex I have, if I have higher risk sex, sex without condoms or with multiple individuals, Mm -hmm. then I need to just do serial, you know, tests. That's not a big deal. And then there's also, you know, the issues about what really is the consent for sex, which ties into, you know, a lot of things that are going on in the world now. And so those are some of the things the book addresses, you know, and I think, you know, when people, you know, want to hook up, one of the really cool things is to both go and get an STD check, number one, because a lot of doctors don't do very good STD checks, number one. And number two is it's kind of a neat treaty or a neat contract between people so that you're not sexually abusing somebody when they're drinking or something. If both people went in for an STD check beforehand, it's kind of like it's a sort of consent from both parties. And so I think it helps prevent disease transmission, which causes a lot of pain and harm. And it also helps some of this, you know, me too stuff that you read about in the newspaper every day. Yeah. And I think too, if you and the partner go and get the STD test and everything, that's just uh, like a form of respect, like, you know, for the other person and, and yeah, there's no confusion. And, you know, let's say if worst case, somebody cheats, then, you know, like, oh, you went somewhere else because, you know, you've got a starting point. Yeah. You've got a starting point, you know, exactly. And, you know, even, you know, in the general public right now, people don't realize if, if people are very active, you know, say 20 something year old, sexually active people that are going on tender or whatever, there is currently, when you look at statistics, probably about half of them, maybe a little bit more have a transmissible STD. Now they're all treatable in a certain way. And it's not the end of the world. Nobody's going to die. It's, you know, HIV, fortunately, is incredibly rare. And part of the reason I wrote the book is if somebody has HIV and they're fully treated, that's a big if, if they're fully treated, they can't even pass HIV, Mm. uh, even with sex without a condom, which many people didn't recognize. And so, you know, the big issue right now, even in high risk individuals for HIV is they have a risk more of syphilis and chlamydia. And hepatitis C is much more prevalent in high-risk populations right now than HIV because they're all on PrEP and they're on anti-HIV meds. So it's really interesting that, you know, that when I was growing up was like, oh, my God, you know, you wouldn't think of being, you know, sexually active with someone with HIV, even if they were on treatment. And now that's completely safe. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, it's interesting. We're more worried about these other diseases than the HIV currently. If yeah, that's fully so treated. crazy. Sorry to interrupt you, because I always thought like, oh, if you have HIV, that's like, uh, like, you know, you're you're going to pass away eventually and that kind of thing. But I guess that's not even the case anymore. If you have HIV and you're fully treated, your life expectancy is essentially normal. It's a hassle because you still have to take the HIV pills every day. There's no cure for HIV, but there's a treatment so incredibly effective that if you're fully taking it, you cannot pass it to someone, even if you have sex with them without a condom. Yes, but I think the the issue right now is everybody's having sex with everyone, so you should just be careful because you can get all kinds of STDs right now, even the smaller ones or, you know, like 
and they're, and they're preventable and you just, you need to know about it. And that's yeah. why um, I thought the book was, you know, very helpful and very useful. And I even learned some things when I went through it, but it's interesting. No one wants to buy a book like that, I guess, for two or three reasons. Number one, no one wants to have a book in their house that says sex lies and STDs because people go, Hey, why are you so interested in STDs? Yeah. And, and, and people are just embarrassed and they're like, you know, even looking through the pictures in my book is a little painful. And people sometimes <laughs> are like, Oh my God, you know, I, you know, this is like 50 year old people. Like I can't look at those pictures. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. come on, grow up. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But that's funny. You're just like basically traumatizing them. I I'm sure like, like people that see pictures of STDs, they don't even want to have sex eventually. <laughs> well, it does get to that. But I, I think that the, the cool thing is there's some kind of middle ground where you are aware yeah. of things and then it's like not a big deal. And but- like another thing that I was uh, thinking about right now, I feel like we, we talked about this. It's like kind of like a hippie area or era in that area, but like all these kids, they're meeting up on Tinder or some kind of, you know, dating site or whatever, or go to like, you know, uh, what do you call it when it's like uh, spring break or whatever. And then they're having sex and it's just like lots of sex with different multiple partners and stuff. So the STD rates are like incredibly high right now. So like, why do you think so many people are just so open to having sex with just anyone and everyone right now? Well, a couple of things, you are correct. We're breaking all the records for all these STDs, chlamydia, uh, mycoplasm. Uh, the rates are just skyrocketing. Syphilis, the rates are the rates of babies born with syphilis is just treble. It's just it's shocking when you look at the statistics. So number one, what you said yeah. is true. Yeah. The rates are skyrocketing in every class. Mm-hmm. Um, why? Well, I think one thing right now coming out of COVID is like a roaring 20s time. I mean, everybody is just you know, we're going to party like it's 1999 again. Yeah. Um, so that's that. <laughs> and I think that, you know, there was a period of time when the thought, the threat even of HIV was keeping people from being, you know, too promiscuous. And I think when the HIV risk kind of went off, I think that that was also contributing to people being a little bit less complacent about, you know, SCD controls. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I think that we got to get back not to having less sex, but to being more careful and not transmitting, you know, preventable diseases to other people just as a courtesy. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think that's a good plan, you know, because it's just it feels like it's getting crazy. Like everybody's just jumping here and there, you know, like I'm all like, oh, it's got to be very careful nowadays, <laughs> you know? Yeah, so. I just. But I, I don't want to go too much on the other side. I'm not really yeah. a person for abstinence. I think, yeah. you know, people try to teach abstinence in various states and this country still, if you do, you know, sex ed in Utah, you know, yeah. one of the big tools is uh, abstinence. I think that that's a wrong approach, just like, you know, abstinence for people that are gay, abstinence for, you know, yeah. people that are young. And I think the 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 better teaching is, hey, you know, have sex. But, you know, it would be nice if you're not ashamed, you know, tell, you know, you should be in a position where you tell your best friends or your parents, you know, that you shouldn't have sex if you're not, if you're ashamed of it, number one. And number two, I think you want it to be as, as positive an experience as positive possible. And I don't really see how you can have a positive experience if you don't, you know, know for sure that you're not giving something or getting something that would have been easily preventable. 
Yeah, so basically get tested before or wrap it up. And also read my book <laughs> two, possibly three times. Yeah, for sure. And then you'll be really safe. <laughs> yeah, you'll be really safe. And I'll be unbelievably wealthy getting my 50 cents from every book. Oh, yeah, for sure. And uh, can you just say to everyone, I'm going to put it in the description, the link to his book and all his links. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I am really proud of it because it's got some great tables. Even if you didn't yeah. read the book, there's some great tables about, okay, this is my symptom. What's the pro- possible STD? And then number two is for every STD, what's the chance I would get it? If my partner has HIV, if my partner has uh, syphilis, if my partner has chlamydia, what's the chance I will get it? There's like a lot of really cool tables that even I as a doctor wasn't aware of. And I think it's really very helpful. And then the other thing is, hey, out of all these STDs, what's the symptom? And when you realize, say chlamydia, the number one symptom for chlamydia is nothing, no symptom. The number one symptom for mycoplasm, nothing. So when you see that, um, you know, and obviously HPV is a huge disease that causes, you know, basically 20,000 deaths every year from oral and cervical cancer. So this is not, this is not a play thing. You know, everybody's got to get out and get their HPV vaccines if they're going to be sexually active. And, um, you know, that's, that's one of the best vaccines we have in the world. You know, we'll yeah. save more lives, literally. You know, I was trying to compare it to the, the COVID vaccine. It, it's up there in terms of life-saving benefits. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, the HPV, I, I heard that like most women have it at some point of their lives or something because I don't know, like it was just like some kind of study and something like that. I'm not well, really HPV, there's, there's, there's 35 strains of human papillomavirus. Mm-hmm. And the vaccine, the old vaccine was good for four of them. Fortunately, the biggest two cancer causing one, and then two of the biggest uh, wart causing one. And then the new one is nine strains. And that covers, you know, a lot more cancer causing strains. So it's a better vaccine. Mm-hmm. But there's still 20 other plus or minus strains of HPV. So one of the great lines is, you know, you, you talk to like, say you go out with a guy or you go out with a woman and, you know, you, it, God forbid you should talk about sex, which, you know, or STDs. But if you say, Hey, have you ever had an STD? Uniformly, every partner I've ever got, Oh no, I've never had blah, blah, blah. And then you just say, <laughs> okay, bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. Yeah. Everyone that's sexually active has had HPV. And I, I really, really kudos to Ali Wong, you know, yeah. She did a comedy thing. Number one, it was hilarious. Number two, it was ballsy because she went out and, and basically the, the laugh line was, you know, uh, who has HPV? And the people that said no, she said, you're losers. That means you've never had sex because everyone who's had sex has had HPV, you know, yeah. usually the unimportant strains. So yeah. that's just another example that we all, everyone sexually active has HPV. But yeah. if you've been vaccinated, the chance you got a cancer strain is down something like 90%, but you can still get a cancer strain that we don't have a vaccine for yet. So okay. everyone in this country that's sexually active has HPV. And like, can you get the vaccine? Like, uh, like even if you, let's say had HPV and you didn't know it. Well, that's a great question. HPV vaccine is best given, you know, to 12 and 13 year old kids before they have sex. Um, but, if you're someone that for whatever reason didn't get the vaccine, 
you know, I believe you should get the vaccine all the way up to 50 or even later. And the fewer the sex partners you've had, let's say you've been married for a big, long period of time, you've had one partner for a big, long period of time, the longer you've had that one partner, statistically, the less strains of HPV you've been exposed to, the more benefit you'll get from the vaccine. Uh, so wow, i mean that is, was the same for me i was now in i'm like all scared i'm like well yeah I no i mean I, you know partner. we have people that are in, <laughs> that, that are married up until 50 and we say you should go get the vaccine because they've had yeah. very few contacts and they need to get the vaccine yeah well that's very informative because i'm sure a lot of people don't know about all this and you know plus that they don't want to talk about it so we're talking about it here everything yeah we're gonna write in box. their face yeah, right in their face. You have HPV, motherfuckers. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> this yeah, is so funny. live with that. It's like funny, and at the same time, I'm like, holy shit! Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's like it's you know, but it's just funny because everybody goes, oh, I've never had an STD. I love yeah. that. I love to just boom, wipe the yeah. smile off the face. You're like, oh yeah, you have. You just don't know it. Yeah, like, yeah, you yeah. just don't know it. Yeah, you haven't, yeah. and you know, your doctor probably hasn't done the right test for it. I yeah. think the saddest thing, and then we can kind of, you know, stop talking about STDs, but <laughs> the saddest thing to me is if you took a whole group of sexually active 20 year olds. And so let's just say every college co-ed, you know, that's sexually active. I think mm. the risk of one disease, mycoplasm is probably up as high as like 20% of them have it. And it can cause infertility and very few, if any doctors check for it. So that I'll end on that. That's to me, the saddest thing that doctors are relatively ill-informed and you have to inform your doctor. Yes. Not only do I want a full STD check, but you got to do the herpes test and the mycoplasm test, which most doctors won't do. And that's and sad. Then one more thing. I think HPV only affects women, right? Like it doesn't. No, affect absolutely men. untrue. Really? You know that one of the fastest rising cancers in men is oral cancer, esophageal cancer. And, you know, uh, that's a huge problem in men. And that comes from HPV or? That what comes is- from oral sex from HPV. I mean, Michael oh, Douglas wow. made that very famous when he went and, and, and told the world that his oral cancer was associated with HPV. That was the first wow. celebrity that talked about it and it got a lot of press, but still you're absolutely right. Very few people, they think it's a woman's disease, which couldn't be more untrue. Well, that's so good to know because I, I, I feel like if guys think like, Oh, it's just affects women, then, you know, who cares or whatever, but this is good to know. Oh, that's what it, you think of men. No, <laughs> no, but like, oh, who I heard, cares? I heard, I heard cases like that where they're like, well, HPV, that's just something that affects women, like, you know, mm-hmm. no big deal, yeah. whatever kind of, you know what I mean? But it's just like, um, and it, I personally didn't even know that it affected men either. So I thought, like, oh, it's more like a women's issue. And I'm a woman. You it's, know? it's it's not well known. Not yeah, well-known. but that's good to know because it, it affects everyone. So don't think you're, you know, you're getting let off. Yeah, you men need the have... shot as, as much as women. No question. Yeah. No, but that's super good church. to know. Yeah. So, yeah, make sure you get checked up and tested and make sure you're safe. And can you get HPV with a condom or no? Yes. A condom lowers the chance, but there's a lot of skin to HPV is spread skin to skin. So condoms reduce the skin to skin contact, but don't certainly eliminate it. So absolutely it lowers your chance. But even if you use condoms hundred percent of the time, you still need that vaccine. Absolutely. Glad you brought that up. 
Wow, and by the way, there's a lot of other STDs that a condom doesn't prevent either. What? <laughs> it doesn't prevent scabies. It doesn't prevent crabs, uh, right? That, oh, yeah, that yeah, doesn't yeah. prevent it at all. Yeah. And then any other skin to skin things, it only, it partially, but does not totally prevent the transmission of herpes uh, because that's a skin to skin disease as well. And, you know, people also don't realize that the number one increasing STD in colleges is herpes type one garnered via oral sex. So that's something else people are very uneducated about. Well, this is super good because this is going to go out to everyone. And, you know, the we need to talk about it because nobody's talking about I think it's like it's just a thing. And it's like. You know, you could take a Valtrex every day and prevent it. You know, it's it's cool. It's not there's no, no deal breakers here. Nobody's saying not to have sex. We're saying inform yourself, you know, learn about simple things, understand it and then take the proper precautions and you're fine. Have all the sex you want, but don't do it with your head in the sand. Yeah, it's just good to be, you know, informed. So, you know, what you get getting yourself into and what you should right. like. Yeah. 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 And then one more thing. So, you know, that I'm uh, working on trying to change the law with hack leak crimes of private images and videos. Yeah, yeah, I uh, heard that. Yeah. So so, cool. Thank you. So what do you think about all this? Do you think the laws are outdated? Do you think they need to be updated? Do you think, um, you know, this is like the new era of these type of crimes? Or what are your thoughts about all this? Yeah, there's no question that you know, any individual that has images, their private images stolen mm-hmm. and put online to last for a lifetime and abused by other people that actually make money off of it, that's multiple crimes right there. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's one of those situations where, you know, we're just, you know, 10, 20 years behind in terms of our laws from, you know, technology. And we have to the same thing is happening in science with some of these new discoveries. You know, uh, the laws tend to be arcane compared to, you know, the possibilities. And so you're absolutely right. You know, you really and, and by the way, our lawmakers are not the most tech savvy, young, hip people. So yeah. that's a part of the population that's really not served by our um, politicians. You know, the politicians are not in that era that really understand this. Yeah. And then what's so strange to me, there's more laws against copyright uh, of like music and, you know, that kind of thing. But this is like women, children, boys, girls, anything like they're literally without consent being trafficked online. And there's no copyright claims against or copyright laws against that. Like, you know, it's kind of totally it's one of those loopholes in our law systems that I think everybody agrees is outrageous. Um, what kind of luck are you having getting to, you know, like California legislature or United States? So basically, I've been talking to a lot of politicians and lobbyists and stuff. And a lot of them are saying like, oh, we need a lot of money or we need like a big name celebrity attached to this, you know. And I'm like, oh, OK, well, so if you know anyone, <laughs> let me know. <laughs> you know, well, I mean, you know, I mean, wouldn't, uh, you know. Pamela and Tommy would be two people that they were probably the first really famous people that that were completely abused, you know, with the release of private, um, private tapes that were for their own personal use. And, and you can't have a more uh, egregious case than that, probably. Yeah, no, they will be great. I mean, if you can, if you know them and can get in touch with them, that would be great. Because 
the whole issue is that they're not understanding that this isn't just affecting people in the public eye. This is like, you know, any kind of walks of life, uh, any kind of ages, any kind of sizes of women or men, children, boys, girls. It happens literally to everyone. Like you can't, if you think it's not going to affect you, most likely it will affect you because even if you- I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, like for me, for instance, I thought like, oh, I was protecting myself in every way possible, even against all odds it happened to me. So it's just, you know, like one of those things that you don't know, even with Pamela Anderson's case, I mean, she was, you know, with someone in a relationship private and it was in their home and they did it in their private life, you know, and, and it got came... stolen from their home. It yeah, was they got stolen, stolen from their home. So, yeah. And and so not only did somebody steal it, but somebody made profited off of something that was stolen and they had tons of money and they couldn't stop it. So think about yeah. a relatively less, you know, you know, somebody with less, you know, economic means, they're totally screwed. Yeah. And then with their case, too, I remember I read about it somewhere. Some guy that didn't have like, you know, these porn sites and stuff. So he created a site and put the video on loop for a couple hours. And within those hours, he made seventy seven million dollars. Like that's just within a couple hours. So imagine the amount of profit they made. And, you know, it's just crazy to me because this is literally a million billion dollar business. And everyone's in on it, like Google, the porn sites, like everyone. And no, nobody's doing anything about it. So it just needs to, um, there's a lot of Get laws. out there. Yeah, you're going to have to hold up a sign and get on it because it. Yeah. you're in the right here. There's no, nobody can question what is the right uh, approach. Now, you know, I'm sure it's a little tricky legal wise, but I'm sure there is a solution. But yeah, you have to raise awareness first, sadly. Yeah, because a lot of people don't even know what's going on and it's just off their radar. And then I also think that a lot of people, they watch porn on these porn sites and they don't understand that a lot of the content is also against consent. So they're like sitting there, like enjoying some video. And and by the way, I don't know, but maybe a lot of them wouldn't go to a site if they knew that everything wasn't uh, signed off or the people weren't making money of their own volition based on that, you know, and that's a great idea too. There should be, you know, how like they package certain products as green, maybe, you know, maybe somehow you have to go and try to differentiate. So, you know, people that want to see pornography, as far as I'm concerned, God bless, but they should watch pornography that, that individuals consent to be on it and are profiting from it, you know, and if they want to do that, and that's two consenting parties. I'm fine with that. And so maybe that you, that's a, a great suggestion. You know, you need mm-hmm. to somehow get people that do that for a, a living to somehow get accredited that they're only using, you know, legitimate material and they're not, uh, you know, you know, hurting people in that thing and making money off of poor unsuspecting people with a, the stuff is stolen or used against their will. Yeah. So that's the whole nother issue. So there's like, these porn sites, all they need is somebody to have an email address and anyone can upload any kind of content they want to the sites, right? 
So, mm -hmm. for instance, if somebody actually shoots a porn uh, movie or something, the person mm -hmm. needs to have their ID. They need to be like not under the influence and, you know, do drug tests, do STD tests and, you know, all of the precautionary things that they need to do mm -hmm. and also sign off like a letter of consent. So that's if you actually mm -hmm. shoot porn and you're like a porn star or something. Right. 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 But with these sites, they don't need anything. Anything at all, except for just the email address. So there's no ID, IDs required. There's no like letter of consent. And these sites, they don't even want to. And that's not to. illegal? Well, it should be. And I, there's a lot of people right now that are trying to hold these sites accountable for that. Huh. But they're totally getting away with it. And they don't care. They honestly don't care. It's like even the victims that reach out to these sites to get the you know videos taken or images down. taken down they take several days to take it down sometimes and then they also have a system that's called the fingerprint stamp system which means that if anybody wants to upload a video that's against consent they uploaded it to their system and then that way anyone that tries to upload the same video it won't let them upload it right so they have a system in place, but they don't want to implement it. The only way they implement the system is if you know someone that knows someone that knows someone, you know, at the You got to know the owner of the site to, to cut them a break. And they probably have to pay them knowing how our system works, how sleazy it is. Yeah. May, well, maybe pay them or maybe, you know, some porn uh, star or somebody that's connected in that whole world. But like... It's a whole procedure, but what's so weird, okay, you have the system. Google has a system. These porn sites have the system. Why aren't you implementing it? You know, so it's kind of like they all know. It's that called money. I know. Yeah. It's money. It's yeah, money. so that's the whole Nobody issue. wants to kill that golden goose where they're getting content for free and they're making money on it, you know? So, you know, it's, um, you know, that's the root of a lot of evils. Yeah, so there's little girls that are getting raped on film and like 12-year-old little girls and then they get uploaded on these sites and they're just like, oh yeah, we don't know if this is really you in the video to the 12-year-old. Like, it's it's just crazy. Like, there's all these things happening right now and a lot of people don't know it. So anyone watching porn know that, you know, you might be watching something that's against consent. If you want to watch something, go to a site that like, it's all, you know, with consent. <laughs> so, I agree. Yeah, I totally agree with that, too. So yeah, that's heartbreaking. Yeah. You know, it's heartbreaking to think about, you know, lives that are ruined or wrecked. And, you know, it's just, um, you know, it's sad all over money. And yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, people shouldn't be limited in what they film. But I guess that's the other thing is, is as long as this system is so crazy people have to be told you know anything that you film probably will be used against you you know until such time that we can make legitimate rules like you're suggesting yeah exactly so be careful with everything basically but even if you're careful it can happen so like there needs to be laws like against all of this so yeah we're working on all right it. i'll vote for it as yeah did you run for what are you going to run for udos you got to Maybe you can start by being state senator. We need to do one of those. <laughs> I'll be senator. 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 No, That's but got a um, nice sound to it. Yeah, right. I, I like it. I like it. But if you can get any anybody involved in this, even yourself, you know, like okay. um, that would Let be great. Let me see if I can 
any of my patients are interested. Okay, sounds good. So get them involved and then we can like try to change the world. Knock on the justice uh, department's door like, hello, I'm here with a legislation. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. so uh, thank you so much for joining me today. And um, I'm going to put all your links in the description for all my followers or people listening to this uh, so they can follow you and, you know, check out your book. Maybe Great. even make an appointment. Well, maybe you could you. put a link of the first time I met you when you really did me a big favor by helping me out on trying to promote uh, my book way back when. That was a oh, pretty yeah. funny video. Met with Mr. T. <laughs> yeah, with Mr. T. We yeah. all met up for the first time. I know that he's so cool, too. Like, yeah, he's yeah. a cool dude. Yeah, no, for sure. I'm going to put that link. Well, cool. you send it to me again and I'll put it and then all that good stuff. But yeah, Great. thank you so much for all doing right. that. All right. Thanks for having me. And uh, I'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye. Okay, bye-bye.